Hi, welcome to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. My name is Jillian and we're so glad you're joining us. Today, Pastor Brian Broderson continues through our series, Life in His Name, with a message entitled, I was blind and now I see. In John 9, 1 through 12, we read of a deep-seated unbelief of the religious leaders of the time, leaders who use their position to intimidate and oppress the poor. It's a story of how petty and merciless those with religious power can be. Yet, at the same time, it is the story of a blind beggar's journey to believing that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a story of deep conviction, unbending courage, and blossoming faith. So I want to remind you, as we have done quite frequently, I want to remind you of uh, John's purpose in writing this gospel. He tells us very specifically that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so we, we find John's gospel is, is really different. Those of you who have read through the four gospels, you, you have noted that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of similarities um, there are some differences, but they're very similar. But then you get to, to John and you're like, wow, this is, what, what's happening with John? These are stories that I haven't heard before. And um, so, so John, this is, this, he intentionally is putting in stories that others did not tell. And this story here is one of them. This is the only uh, gospel where the story is found. Even though in the other Gospels, there are records of uh, Jesus healing blind people, this amazing story is not there. So this really, really fits in with, with John's method of storytelling. Again, if you, if you think about it uh, and Again, the more you re read the scripture and, and get familiar with the, the gospels themselves, you realize that John has this interesting method of telling stories of people's deep encounters with Jesus. And we really don't see that much in the other gospels. Maybe, maybe one or two uh, here or there. But uh, John, he is in, in this habit of focusing in on these deep conversations. So Nicodemus, for example, maybe you've been with us the whole time through our study of the Gospel of John. You remember the, that whole conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, or maybe you've just read it and you see it there. So you have Nicodemus, then you have the, the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman, and the conversation that Jesus has with this woman at this well. Then uh, you have a man who was healed, who was crippled at the pool of Bethesda. You have that conversation there. You have the conversation or the encounter, the exchange between the, Jesus and the woman taken in adultery. And now we come to this story here. The story of this man who was born blind and Jesus gives him sight. And of course, that is the kind of the main point of the story, but that's not the only thing we see in the story. 
we see in the story also, we see the deep-seated unbelief on the part of the religious leaders of the time. We see the intimidation and oppression of the poor by those religious leaders. We have here in this story uh, a picture of how petty and merciless those with religious power can be at times. Yet at the same time, it is the story of a blind beggar's journey to believing that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a story of deep conviction, unbending courage, and blossoming faith. And so those are the things that we want to sort of keep our eyes open for as we go through the story. So Robin read for us the, the first 12 verses. We're actually going to read all the way through almost to the end of the chapter today. I, I want to walk us through it, and I want to do two things. I want to highlight some of the, the key moments, and then um, at the end, we'll come back around and see what the application would be uh, for us today from the story. So let's pick it up right here from the start where we read, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Note that, he's blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The idea that bad things happen to people as a punishment from God runs deep in the human psyche. It's common for people to, to think. When they see that something bad has happened to someone, it's common for people to think that somehow this is this is some sort of a punishment for some evil or, or some sinful thing that they did. You know, there just came to mind the story. There's a story in the book of Acts where uh, Paul the Apostle, he's traveling to Rome. Uh, the ship that he's on sinks. They, they have to make their way to shore. It seems like almost certain death, but they finally, they, they survive it. And the, the people there on the island, they gather around them as they come up onto the shore. And they, they, uh, they light a fire because it's cold. And Paul the apostle, as he's collecting sticks, it says that uh, a viper came out of the sticks and latched itself onto him. And, and then it says he shook it off and he had no harm. But th this is what it says about the people that saw that. The people that saw that said, ah, this must be a, a wicked person who, although he escaped death at sea, the gods will not allow him to live. Therefore, this viper is going to be the, the means of taking him out. Now, that's kind of, you know, that mentality didn't just exist in those days. You find that mentality today. That is... Uh, there's, there's that thread of thinking in Hinduism. There's that thread of thinking in Islam. There's, there's that thread of thinking among secular people. 
And there's even that thread of thinking sometimes among Christians. Another case in the Bible we find, remember the story of Job. Job is a righteous man. God says he's a righteous man. God says there's nobody as righteous as him, as a matter of fact. But he falls into all kinds of trouble. His um, children are killed and all of his possessions are plundered. And he ends up afflicted with these intolerable boils. And it's just a horrific thing. And his friends come to console him. But basically, they come to say, listen, Job, it's clear that you're a sinner. It's clear that you've done something that you're not admitting. That's why God's punishing you. So this is in the minds of people. This was in the minds of the disciples when they saw this man there who had been blind from birth. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, an interesting sort of a twist on this is that some of the ancient rabbis actually did teach that uh, a child in the womb could possibly sin or that a child that was born with a defect was a punishment from God for the sins of the parents. So basically they're just, they're just echoing the things that they had heard all around them throughout their whole lives. So that's the question. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that this has happened? And I love the response of Jesus. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. You know, Jesus sometimes, he's just so, he's so blunt and straightforward. And I, I want you to just think about this. Everything I just said, not only the ancient world, but, but presently we have people that think this way. In one sentence, Jesus puts all of that to rest. Take note of that. The next time you're tempted to think that, oh, maybe this person is suffering or maybe this malady is somehow making a connection back to God and them being punished, just remember the words of Jesus. No, that's not what's happening. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now he goes on and we read that Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So, so Jesus seems to say that this, this has nothing to do with, with sin. There's, there's no direct connection with sin. But this was allowed, basically this was allowed for the glory of God. This was allowed, in a sense, what Jesus would be saying is, this was allowed for this very moment in history. So that this man, who was born this way, could be healed by me. Now, now, some people would say, well, that doesn't seem very fair. How is it that God would allow something like that just so he could, you know, perform this a miracle later on in the person's life? Well, some, some people would say that. Some people have said that. But, you know, I don't think 
for one moment that the man thought that at all. I don't think that after he was healed, you know, the next day he thought, well, wait a second. Why, why was I even blind in the first place? I, I need to talk to God about this. I, I don't think that ever entered the man's mind. I think that he was very, very happy. If that's the way it happened, he was, he was very happy that it happened that way. Now, I, I bring that up because there are some who say that you could, by changing some of the punctuation, you could have a bit of a different answer. You could have an answer where Jesus doesn't really answer the question at all. He just simply moves on and says, um, so, so if you punctuated it differently, um, neither this man sinned nor his parents, period, but that the works of God might be manifest in him, comma, we must work the work of God uh, while it is day. So if you notice, um, there's a period where I said there could be a comma. And the reason I'm saying that is because in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, uh, there are no punctuation points. So there's not a, a, a period or a comma to tell us exactly what it was. Now, if you, if you lived in the first century and you spoke and read Greek, you didn't have any problem knowing what was being said. But here we are today, thousands of years later, uh, we've got a translation here. So what is the proper translation? Other, and we, we don't know exactly. It could be either one. It could be that Jesus didn't really even answer their question. He just said, hey, don't worry about that. This is not about sin. This is about a work that I'm going to do. Let's do it. Or he might have given the explanation, this is because um, God has allowed it. And the language actually allows for either one, so it kind of leaves the interpretation up to the reader. You decide which one uh, you think is, is more the way it probably happened. I myself don't really know <laughs> how I feel about it. I kind of like the idea of Jesus just simply dismissing it and saying, let's move on and let, I, we need to work while it is day. Um, but then it could very well be that the explanation is that this was allowed by God in his sovereign wisdom to bring about this moment of healing and the testimony and everything that's going to follow from it. It very well could be that. So, but what happens? There's a, a healing now that is going to take place. And Look what it says. It says, after this, after Jesus had said these things to them, we must work while it is day, uh, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. You think that's weird? That is weird. You can think that. That's strange. And then he said, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, this word, Siloam, means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So what is happening here? Why is Jesus spitting on the ground and making clay and smearing it on the eyes of this blind man and then sending him off? So this, 
think, just kind of picture this in your mind. This guy is now, he's being led to the pool. He can't see, so he's obviously not walking on his own. He's being led to the pool, uh, and he's got mud smeared all over his eyes. Bible commentators have tried to make sense of this. What, why would Jesus have done that? Now, some have said that Jesus did this because there were among certain pagan religious practices, there, there were those who believed that saliva had medicinal elements to it, and so they would use their saliva in their efforts to heal people. And Jesus did it because it was kind of a familiar method. People would have maybe made that connection. I think that is a really bad explanation for this uh, for a number of reasons, mainly because I don't think Jesus would have been mimicking the practices of the pagans, and secondly, because I don't think the people, the Jewish people, would have been familiar with the custom of the pagans. So I think that's a bad answer. I think the answer is actually way more profound than this. And I want you to remember this. Remember who's writing this. And remember what he's already told us about Jesus. And remember what he told us about Jesus from the very beginning of this, of this gospel. He told us that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and all things were made by him. And without him, nothing was made that was made, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John has already told us that Jesus is the creator. Now, when you go back to the original creation story in Genesis, what do you find? You find that God takes what? He takes dirt. And he forms the dirt, and then he breathes into the dirt the breath of life, and man becomes a living being. And I think what Jesus is doing here is he's basically, he's in a sense sort of repeating what happened at creation. He is taking dirt, and rather than breathing on it, he's spitting on it, and then he's smearing it on the man's eyes. He is creating eyes so that this man can see. That's what's happening here. That's why he did what he did the way he did it. And then he sent him to the pool of scent. That's literally what he did. He sent him to the pool of scent. Now John... He sees something in this. For John, there's, there's something here. And that's why he adds that Siloam means sent. And so for John, it's not a coincidence that this is happening. John sees in this, this is a, this pool, this pool of Siloam, this pool was named the pool of sent because of this moment in history when Jesus would send this man there. I think it's interesting how John makes that connection. Now, the pool was named Siloam many centuries earlier. And obviously, it was named that because it was sending water uh, or, or it was receiving water that was sent. But 
John sees that there is uh, something even beyond that. And, and that just says to me that, you know, sometimes we, we probably need to be a little more sensitive and open to, to things being more than what they seem. I think it's easy for us as Christians. Now, as Christians, we are people who have uh, had a supernatural experience. We have had an encounter with God. We've had an, an introduction into a whole nother dimension. But sometimes we live like we haven't ever really had that. We just live in a very strict, closed, sort of a materialistic type of an existence. And sometimes we fail to recognize that there are supernatural things happening. So I was just a few minutes ago, I was talking to my son, Char. I called him. He's in, uh, he's in Austria right now. And I, and I said to him, I said, hey, I heard that the message you preached last week, last Sunday at Creation Fest, I heard it was really tremendous. And he said, yeah, you know, he kind of, he said, you know, the funny thing is I was, I was on the bus yesterday from Vienna. And he said, the whole time I'm sitting there by myself and I'm just, I'm, I'm just sinking in regret, thinking back on the message and why I didn't say this and why I didn't say that and how I should have said this and how oh, that message just wasn't, you know, it could have been so much better. These are the things preachers think about, actually. And, but then he said this, he said, and, and in the middle of me thinking this, and he said, this is going on for quite a few minutes. His phone rings, and it is Sarah Yardley. And she's calling from England to say, Chard, you do not know the impact that your message had on so many people. I have been hearing from so many people how God spoke to them. And she said, and I'm just listening to it again, and it is so powerful. My point is, you know, this, there's supernatural stuff going on. And I said to him, I said, son, just I want you to remember one word devil there is a devil <laughs> and the devil doesn't want you to feel good about what you did he wants you to feel miserable because you're working against him but again i mean i'm, I'm a little bit off the path here but I, i'm trying to make this point that we need to see things through a spiritual lens and not just always through the obvious lens that it is and john does that here he says the pool of siloam yes it's been called siloam forever but it means sent this is about what's happening right now so we can do that and we should do that we need to have a, a more of a sensitivity to the things of the spirit now here's what we're going to do we are going to go as i said we're going to go now i want to just walk us through the story like i said i want to highlight some things and then we'll come to the application but follow me now as we just make our way through the rest of the story. And it is really an extraordinary story. And I want you to, if you're able to, just sort of, you know, just let your imagination run away with this. Put yourself in the story. And I think you're going to see just how fascinating it is as you do that. So anyway... The man went to the pool, he washed, we read. Uh, he went, uh, after that, it says that he came home seen. And so his neighbors, 
And those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, nah, he, he looks like him though. I mean, you know, just kind of imagine this in, in, a, in a present sort of a context. You, know, you, you live in a neighborhood, um, you have a neighbor who, let's say, you know, they, they've been blind. You've lived there 30 years. You've had this neighbor, they're blind. And then one day, you see them out and about, and they're obviously not blind. They're doing all the things that, that people can see, who can see, do. And you, you might look and you might think, wait, is, is, that, the, is that the person? You might think, well, no, it, it can't be the person. No, it, is that the person? And then somebody else says, well, well it, it looks like them. And then, here's, I love this part. But he himself insisted, no, it, it is me. I am the man. And then they say, how then were your eyes opened? He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So this is the conversation that's going on with the neighbors. Fascinating. Now, verse 13 says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, I don't know why they did this, but this really wasn't a good idea. But somebody had the idea that we ought to take him to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders, and we're going to see that they were um, not really uh, friendly people. And so they bring him to the Pharisees. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud, here's a little side note, and open the man's eyes was the Sabbath. So this is where all the trouble is going to come. And John notes that. Jesus healed this man who was born blind. He healed him on the Sabbath. And for these religious leaders, they were so hard-hearted that rather than seeing the the absolute glory of the miracle all they could think about was the violation of their sabbath law and oftentimes in the gospels we find that jesus is uh, in trouble with the pharisees over the sabbath now really quickly the sabbath was god's law he had given it it was very simple. Six days you shall work. On the seventh day you shall rest and do no labor. Now these guys, they had taken that simple command and they had written 39 volumes on what it meant to rest and not work. So basically, on the Sabbath day, you pretty much had to just sit still and make sure you didn't breathe too hard because in their opinion, if you did, you would break the Sabbath. So when they, when they see Jesus as a Sabbath breaker, he's breaking their interpretation of the Sabbath. 
Jesus didn't break God's Sabbath. Jesus broke their interpretation of the Sabbath. And so, therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. The man says, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Even among the Pharisees themselves, there's a division. For some, it's like, no way. This guy's not from God. He's not keeping the Sabbath. Others are like, yeah, but how could this happen? So it's interesting that among them, there is even this division. But others asked, or uh, verse 17, then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It's your eyes he opened. The man replied. Now, I, I would imagine that at this moment, the man probably has to think a little bit. Like, they're saying, okay, come on. You know, what do you, what do you have to say about the man? And he probably ponders it for a moment, and he says, um, I don't know. He's a prophet. <laughs> I mean, what? You know, in this man's mind, it is crystal clear that this person, Jesus, who he doesn't really know anything more about, the one thing that he's pretty certain about is that this man must be from God. The irony is that the religious leaders are pretty certain that he's not from God. So this poor blind man says, now, I think he's from God. I think he's a prophet. But they still did not believe that he was blind. They didn't believe that he had been born blind. Now, here's a, um, you know, this is a, a miracle staring them right in the face, and they refuse to believe it. They refuse to believe it. Did, did you know that in the Old Testament, um, there, are no, there are no accounts of anyone in, in the entire Old Testament ever being healed of blindness? And there's only references in the Old Testament to God alone healing blindness or giving sight to the blind, and there's specific promises that the Messiah would do that. So you see, the implications here are really, um, these, these are serious implications. Because if this man was really blind, and if Jesus really healed him, then the, the scriptural deduction must be, he has to be the Messiah. Because this is the, the, what the Messiah would do. They, they don't want to believe that so much that they're willing to even question whether he was blind or not. See, this is unbelief. Unbelief is irrational. We, there's so much talk today about atheism, and you know, so many times people think, well, you know, the smart people are all atheists. Well, not really true. Atheists are, are just people that refuse to look at anything other than what they've already made up in their mind, for the most part. And that's what we see here. And so they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received a sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? Poor parents. <laughs> we know he is our son. The parents answered. And we know he was born blind. 
But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Now his parents here seem to kind of throw him under the bus, you know, it's like, parents, stand by your kids. You don't want to do what they did here. But the reason they did it, John tells us, his parents said this because they were afraid. And so we see the intimidation of these religious leaders. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So to be put out of the synagogue, that meant to be excluded from the society. See, because this was a, this was a religious culture. And so... In those days, you couldn't just, if they put you out of the synagogue, you couldn't just go down the road to another synagogue. This put you out of the community itself. So they were understandably fearful over the possible repercussions here. And so now a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. And they said, give glory to God. Tell the truth. So they don't, they, they, they see that in this man attributing the healing to Jesus, somehow he's, he's not giving glory to God or he's, he's not really being honest. That isn't really what happened. They said, we know that this man is a sinner. Now, how did they know he was a sinner? Well, he was a sinner because he didn't keep the Sabbath the way they interpreted the Sabbath to be kept. That was the great sin that Jesus committed. And so the man replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Now, what we're going to see from this point forward is, to me, it's just so beautiful. It is the um, the unbending courage of this guy. This guy is amazing. He's not like his parents. His parents are intimidated. He's not intimidated. And you think about it. I mean, we don't even know how old he was. It seems like he's obviously an adult. But he's lived his entire life blind. His entire life, he's blind. So you figure he's got to be a little bit tough to have survived this long under those conditions. This is not a guy that you're going to push around. And especially with what he has experienced. Here's a guy who's like, you know what? You're going to try to tell me who was blind and now I can see? You're going you're to try to tell me that this isn't a legitimate thing that God did for me? He's just not going to have a single bit of that coming from them. And so they asked again, what did he do to you? How did, how did he open your eyes? Listen to this. He answered, I have told you already, and you didn't listen. Here, here, right here, he's going after him. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I am absolutely certain he knew for a fact they did not want to become the disciples of Jesus, but he's sticking it to them right here. So you see the, the feistiness of this fellow. You have to admire it, really. But notice he also, he says, do you want to become his disciples too? There's a little bit of an implication there that, that he is a disciple, even though it's still at this point, he doesn't really even know much about Jesus. 
Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this man's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Wow, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. And now he's going to preach to them. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. And in a general sense, he's right. Now, some people have taken this little statement a bit out of context and used it to say, you know, God doesn't hear the prayer of a sinner. So don't bother to pray. If you haven't accepted Jesus, then God's not going to hear you. That, that's not what he's saying. He's just, as a general rule, we understand that God listens to and works on behalf of those who trust him and seek him and so forth. And then he says this. He says, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Nobody's ever heard of this. This has never been heard of in all of history. And you know that is still true to this day. There has never been a recorded, bona fide, verifiable healing of a person born blind. Never. Hadn't been then, hasn't been to this day. And then he says this, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So he's just sticking right to his message. This man is from God. You guys don't know what you're talking about. That, that's kind of where he lands. And to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Wow. So what they had threatened to do to anybody who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, they did for this guy. They threw him out. They might have just thrown him out of that particular gathering but I think what's implied is they threw him out of the synagogue they excommunicated him and I want you to also see this in, in case you missed it you were steeped in sin at birth they believed that sin or, or uh, they believed that sickness or a birth defect like blindness they obviously believed that it was a punishment for sin because that's what they said you were steeped in sin from birth. That, the proof of that is that you were born blind. So these guys didn't really have any true and clear understanding of God, even though they were the religious leaders of the day. So they threw him out. But then, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? So we don't know where Jesus was during this time and however much time passed, we're not sure. But whether 
it was word of mouth or somebody came and said, Jesus, this is what happened. We, we don't know exactly how Jesus knew what happened, but he seeks out the man and finding him, ask him this question. Do you believe in the son of God or do you believe in the son of man? Some translations read son of God, some read son of man. Uh, it could be either one. They essentially both mean the same thing. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. Remember, the last time this man encountered Jesus, he could not see him. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And, and I, I wonder if at that moment the man... It, the, the voice, the tone, everything, it all of a sudden just, it just all came together. It all clicked for him. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So now the process that began with Jesus putting the mud on his eyes and sending him off to wash his uh, to wash his eyes, it now culminates in the man worshiping. There are three things I want us to take away from this today. And the first is the unique way that Jesus works in this man. So there's, there's kind of a, a three-step process here. No, the first thing he does is he heals him. He heals the man when the man has little to no knowledge of who Jesus actually is. Remember that. He heals him. The man doesn't, the man doesn't even know who Jesus is. All he knows after the fact, all he knows when he's seen is a man named Jesus touched my eyes and told me to go wash. He maybe seems to know that Jesus has some followers, but he doesn't know who he is. Secondly, Jesus allows him to go into circumstances that force him to process what happened. That's what's going on in this whole encounter between this man and the Pharisees. It's like this man, we're watching a person reason and think out loud his way to full faith in Jesus. That's what we see happening here. And then thirdly, we see that Jesus makes himself unmistakably known and calls the man to faith. So we see that's, that's kind of the three-step process here. What is it that we're actually seeing? This is it that there is no stereotyping Jesus in the way he works in people's lives. That's what we want to take away from this. One thing we want to take away. There's no stereotyping Jesus. And it's important that we understand that because we tend to do that all the time. We tend to think that, well, Jesus worked this way in my life, and therefore, that's the way he works in everybody's life. And if he's not worked in their life the way he did in my life, then I'm not sure if he's really working in their life. And we have to remember that as, as we've all 
heard before, and maybe you've even said, you cannot put God in a box. He's got it. He won't go in the box. He will do what he wants to do. And we should know that by just reading the stories of the Gospels because we'll see that Jesus never really does anything the same, exactly the same way twice. He is... You see, Jesus has his own unique ways of working with all of us. I needed Jesus to work in my life in a way that was unique to who I am. You need Jesus to work in your life in a way that's unique to you. People out in the world, they need that same thing. And we have to give people space for that. We have to recognize that that's the case. And, you know, we can, we can miss out on that. We can, uh, here's, here's an easy way that I've seen this happen many times before. Um, many people in our generation, in our time, they come to faith in Jesus by saying the sinner's prayer. They said a prayer, Lord, I'm a sinner, come into my life, forgive my sins, so on. They came, maybe they were invited up front. Some, somehow, they, they said a sinner's prayer. So we meet somebody and we're talking with them and man, they're talking about the Lord and you know they sure sound like a Christian and God's working in their life and and then but we're wondering like but but when did you say the sinner's prayer and we're waiting for that we're waiting for them to just tell us about that moment that exact moment because we had an exact moment we know so. So when was your exact moment? And they never get there because they haven't had that kind of experience. And then we say, oh, I'm not sure. Well, I know they say they're a Christian, but I, I don't know. I'm not sure. They have, I, I don't think they've said the sinner's prayer. Guess what? You can become a Christian without saying the sinner's prayer. <laughs> you can say the sinner's prayer and become a Christian too. And you can say it and not become a Christian because you might not mean it. But you see, if we start putting those kinds of things we're going to get all messed up on how God actually works in people's lives. And we're going to miss what's right before our eyes. Sometimes the beauty of what God is doing in a person. I have a friend who told me his testimony. And part of his testimony was an experience that I did not believe that Christians, or I, I just didn't believe, no, God doesn't, no. God doesn't do that. He doesn't work like that. And when he told me his story, I had to really rethink everything I thought about that. Because this was one thing that was absolutely certain to me. This guy knows Jesus. He knows Jesus as well as I know Jesus. He might even know him better than I know Jesus. I mean, this guy knows the Lord. And he's telling me he came to the Lord in a way that I would like, wait, no, the Lord doesn't bring people to himself like that. Doesn't work that way in my theological handbook. But, you know, I had to just recognize that, well, God, I guess you do things your own way and you never have really consulted me about it. So <laughs> who am I to say? <laughs> I, one thing I know that this guy is this guy is saved. So I'm just saying to us, let's remember that. Let's not stereotype 
let's recognize Jesus has all kinds of ways of working in people's lives. Second thing I want us to see here is this man. So this man goes from being a blind beggar to a day or two later giving an, an unassailable defense of the reality of Christ to the religious leaders of the day. And what I want us to see is that he was armed with one thing only, and it was this. I was blind, now I see. Jesus is responsible for that. Jesus is the Son of God. We oftentimes feel intimidated. We feel like we don't know enough. We don't have good enough arguments to respond to people. We probably just ought to keep quiet and not say anything or try to find somebody that knows better and maybe we could connect our friend with them. You know what? Just tell your story. That's a great place to start. Even if you do know a bunch of other stuff. Start with your story. Because your story is powerful. And your story is your story. And people just have to live with it. They can't refute it. I mean, you might come up with a great theological argument and then suddenly you find that oh they've got an argument that kind of is it's pretty good too and so you're kind of stuck you can't really go anywhere but when you tell them your story of what God's done in your life what are they going to say no God didn't do that you know I was having a conversation with a person one time and I was I was trying to get them to come to Jesus kind of like let's say the sinner's prayer and at a certain point, they asked me, Brian, what do you want me to do? And I said, I want you to receive Jesus. And they said, I've already done that. What was I going to say? No, you haven't. <laughs> I couldn't refute him. I just said, oh, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> Here, let me hug you, brother. Now, you're a Christian too. See, your, your story, it's your story. It's what God has done. That's what's happening here. These guys are saying, this man's a sinner. He's not from God. This guy's like, get lost. He, I was blind. Now I see. Of course he's from God. What are you guys, blind? You guys are the blind ones here. So remember that. The simple but undeniable reality of your story, of my story. That's, that's a good place to start. And you don't have to be a seasoned Christian to do that. This guy was not seasoned in any way, shape, or form. He was brand new. Now, of course, we want to grow. We want to learn. We want to understand. We want to give answers. And we want to be able to present 
uh, strong argumentation, uh, all of that's great. Not everybody's going to do that in the same way or on the same level, but everybody has a story of how they met Jesus and what Jesus did in their life, and that is as good a place to start as any. And God can use that, and God will use that many, many times. That is exactly what God will use. And then the final thing that we see here is that we see that this man, he worships Jesus. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. He worshiped him. He now is giving his entire devotion to Jesus. And my friends, this is the meaning of life. This is why we are here in this world. We are here to know God. We are here to love God. We are here to serve God. We are here to glorify God. That is why we live. That is why we breathe. That is why we exist. God made us for his glory. And know this, that we were made by God and for him, and nothing can ever take his place, really. Nothing can ever satisfy or fulfill you until you come to this place. If this man had just merely been healed of his blindness, well, he would have been able to see now. But what would he have seen? He would have just seen a lot of ugly things that he had missed out on being blind. See, there was so much more that Jesus intended to do than just give him physical sight. Jesus offered him spiritual life and he received it and he worshiped the Lord. And as we, we close today, I want to just remind you that that's why we're here. That's why we're alive, to worship the Lord, to live for him, to know him. And this is where life gets good. This is where life gets exciting. This is where the adventure is. This is, this is where you want to be. And if you're anywhere but that today, change that. Just like this man did. Lord, I believe, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you're the son of man. And since that is who he is, give yourself entirely to him if you haven't done that. And for those of us that have done that, you know, there's, it's always good to just recommit. Just good to say, Lord, I, you know, I need a fresh start today with you. I, I want to I wanna know you better. You know, sometimes we just get lazy. Sometimes we just get distracted. Sometimes we're just zoning out. And it's like, oh, where's God at in all this? Well, we, we must seek him. And so let's do that. Let's not miss out on that. And if there's a single person that's with us today or anyone listening or watching that you haven't yet met Jesus, he is extending his hand to you. 
He wants you to come to him. He wants you to receive him. He wants to heal you of blindness or whatever else there might be, whatever malady you might be suffering from. He wants to address that and deal with that in your life. So let him do it. So we're going to close with our time of worship, with our uh, communion. The table is here in the back, outside. And this is a time to just really, um, to just everything that we've heard to just say, okay, Lord, I want, I want this to, to sink down in my heart. I, I want this to not just go in one ear and out the other, but I want it to stay with me so that I can follow you in the way that you want me to. So Lord, help us to engage on that very level today, we pray. Thank you for this amazing story that you put here that we might believe that you are the Christ the Son of God. And Lord, we do believe. Thank you for the bread and the cup that remind us of your broken body and your shed blood. They remind us ultimately of your great love. The greatest love of all is one that lays down its life for its friends. And Lord, that's what you did. So we partake now with thanksgiving. Amen.